Book One, Chapter Twenty, Part One of the Heavenly Twins. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Devorah Allen. The Heavenly Twins by Sarah G. Book One, Chapter Twenty, Part One. The twins had a code of ethics which differed in some respects from that ordinarily accepted in their state of life. They honored their mother, they couldn't help it, as they said themselves apologetically, but their father they looked upon as fair game for their amusement. "'What was that unearthly noise I heard this morning?' Mr. Ellis asked one day. "'Oh, did we wake you, sir?' Diavolo exclaimed. "'We didn't mean to. We were only yowling Papa out of bed with our fiddles. He's idle sometimes and won't get up, and it's so bad for him, you know.' "'I wish you could see him scooting down the corridor after us,' Angelica observed. "'And, you know, he speaks just the same at that time of day in his dressing-gown "'as he does in the evening in dress-clothes. "'You'd die if you heard him.' "'Another habit of the twins was to read any letters they might find lying about. "'It is dishonorable to read other people's letters,' "'Mr. Ellis admonished them severely when he became aware of this peculiarity. "'It isn't for us,' Angelica answered defiantly. "'You might as well say it's dishonorable to squint. "'We've always done it, and everybody knows we do it.' "'We warn them not to leave their letters lying about, don't we, Diavolo?' "'That is because it is greater fun to hunt for them,' Diavolo interpreted precisely. When Angelica gave a reason, he usually cleared it of all obscurity in this way. "'And how are we to know what goes on in the family if we don't read the letters?' Angelica demanded. "'What necessity is there for you to know?' "'Every necessity,' she retorted. "'Not be interested in one's own family affairs?' "'Why, we should be wanting an intelligence, and we're not that, you know. "'And we should be wanting an affection, too, in every right feeling. "'And I hope we are not that either, Mr. Ellis, quite. "'But you needn't be afraid about your own letters. "'We shan't touch them.' "'No,' drawled Diavolo. "'Of course, that would be a very different thing.' "'I'm glad you draw the line somewhere,' Mr. Ellis observed sarcastically. "'He was far from satisfied, however, "'but he noticed eventually that the dust collected on letters of his own "'if he left them lying about.' and he soon discovered that when his intelligent pupils gave their word, they kept it, uncompromisingly. It was one of their virtues, and the other was loyalty to each other. Their devotion to their mother hardly counted for a virtue, because they never carried it far enough to make any sacrifice for her sake. But they would have sacrificed their very lives for each other, and would have fought for the right to die until there was very little left of either of them to execute. Of such peculiar quality were their affections." They had gone straight to Fountain Towers by the shortest cut across the fields that afternoon when Mr. Ellis suggested vivisection as a possible occupation for Dr. Galbraith. They never doubted but that they should discover him hard at work, in some underground cellar most likely, to which they would be guided by the cries of his victims, and would be able to conquer his reluctance to allow them to assist at his experiments by threats of exposure. And they were considerably chagrined when, having carefully concealed themselves in a thick shrubbery in order to reconnoitre the house, they came upon him in the garden, innocently occupied in the idle pursuit of pruning rose-trees. He was somewhat startled himself when he suddenly saw their hot red faces, set like two moons in a clump of greenery, peeping out at him with animated eyes. "'Hullo,' he said. "'Are you hungry?' The faces disappeared behind the bushes. "'Are we, Angelica?' Diavolo whispered anxiously. "'Of course we are,' she retorted. "'I thought we were too angry, disgusted, disappointed.' "'Something,' he murmured apologetically, but evidently much relieved. Dr. Galbraith went on with his pruning, 
and presently the twins appeared walking down the proper approach to the garden, hand in hand demurely. After they had saluted their host politely, they stood and stared at him. Well, he said at last. I suppose we are too late, said Angelica. For what? he asked, without pausing in his occupation. For the viv-viv-vivinisectioning. Vivinisectioning? What on earth? Oh! Light broke in upon him. Who told you I was? Mr. Ellis, said Angelica. No, he didn't tell us you were exactly, Diavolo explained with conscientious accuracy. He asked Papa if it was true that you were going to this afternoon. And what were you doing? Dr. Galbraith asked astutely. We were in the drawing room, Angelica answered, trying to find out from a lady why she tied herself up so tight in the middle. And so you came off here to see? Yes, said Diavolo. We wanted to catch you at it. You little brute, misbegotten by the— Dr. Galbraith began, but Diavolo interrupted him. Sir, he exclaimed, drawing himself up with an expression of as much indignation as could be got into his small patrician features. If you do not instantly withdraw that calumny, I shall have to fight you on my mother's behalf, and I shall consider it my duty to inform her of the insinuation which is the cause of offence. I apologize, said Dr. Galbraith, taking off his hat and bowing low. I assure you the expression was used as a mere façon de parler. I accept your explanation, sir, said Diavolo, returning the salute. But I caution you to be careful for the future. What is a façon de parler, Angelica? he whispered as he put his hat on. Oh, just a way of saying it, she answered. I wish you wouldn't talk so much. Men are always cackling by the hour, all about nothing. If people come to see me when I have a house of my own, I shall not forget the rights of hospitality. The doctor put up his pruning knife. There was a twinkle in his gray eyes. If you will do me the favor to come this way, he said, my slaves will prepare a small collation on the instant. Oh, yes, said Diavolo. Arabian nights, you know. You must have fresh fruits and dried fruits, choice wines, cakes, sweets, and nuts. It shall be done as my lord commands, said the doctor. That same evening, when he took the children home, Dr. Galbraith found Lady Adeline alone. She was a plain woman, but well-bred in appearance, and tender thoughts had carved a sweet expression on her face. Next to her brother, Don, Don's most intimate friend, Dr. Galbraith, was the man in the world upon whom she placed the greatest reliance. "'I have brought back the children,' he said. "'Ah, then they have been with you,' she answered in a tone of relief. "'We hoped they were.' "'Oh, yes,' he said, smiling. "'They showed me exactly what the difficulty here had been.' and I have been endeavouring to win back their esteem, for they made it appear plainly that they despised me when they found me peacefully pruning rose-trees, instead of dismembering live rabbits, as Mr. Ellis had apparently led them to expect. They told you then? Oh, exactly, I am sure, about the lady tied too tight in the middle and everything. They are terrible, George, those children, Lady Adeline declared. My whole life is one ache of anxiety on their account— I am always in doubt as to whether their unnatural acuteness portends vice or is promising, and whether we are doing all that ought to be done for them. I am sure they are in very good hands now, he answered cheerfully. Mr. Ellis is an exceedingly good fellow. They like him, too, and I don't think anybody could manage them better. No, said Lady Adeline, but that only means that no one can manage them at all. They are everywhere, they know everything, they have already mastered every fact in natural history that can be learnt upon the estate— and they will do almost anything, and are so unscrupulous that I fear sometimes they are going to take after some criminal ancestor there may have been in the family, although I never heard of one, and go to the bad altogether. 
Now what is to be done with such children? I hardly dare allow myself to hope that they have good qualities enough to save them, and yet— And yet they are lovable, she added, looking at him wistfully. Most lovable. And I am sure you need not disturb yourself seriously, he answered with confidence. The children have vivid imaginations and incomparable courage, and their love of mischief comes from exuberance of spirits only, I am sure. When Angelica's womanly instincts develop, and she has seen something of the serious side of life, been made to feel it, I mean, she will become a very different person, or I am much mistaken. Her character promises to be as fine when it is formed as it will certainly be unusual. And as for Diavolo, well, I have seen no sign of any positive vice in either of them. You comfort me, said Lady Adeline. How did you entertain them? Oh, we had great fun, he replied, laughing. We had an impromptu Arabian Nights entertainment, with all the men and women about the place disguised as slaves, and they all entered into the spirit of the thing heartily. I assure you, I never enjoyed anything more in my life. But I must go. I am on my way to town tonight to read a paper tomorrow morning upon a most interesting case of retarded brain development, which I have been studying for the last year. If I am right in my conclusions, we are upon the high road to some extraordinary and most valuable discoveries. Now that is a singular man, Lady Adeline remarked to Mr. Ellis afterwards. She had been telling the tutor about the success of his stratagem. He spent valuable hours today playing with my children, and he says he never enjoyed anything so much in his life, and I quite believe him. And tomorrow he will probably astonish the scientific world with the discovery of the last importance. I call him a human being perfectly possessed of all his faculties, Mr. Ellis answered. The twins worked well by fits and starts, but when they did not choose to be diligent, they considerately gave their tutor a holiday. The last threat of a thrashing for Diavolo happened to be on the first of these occasions. "'It looks a good morning for fishing,' he remarked casually to Angelica, just after they had settled down to lessons. "'Yes, it does,' she answered. There was a momentary pause, and then away went their books, and they were off out of the window. But Mr. Ellis succeeded in capturing them, and laying hold of an arm of each, he dragged them before the paternal tribunal in the library.' He was not intimate with the peculiar relations of the household to each other at that particular time, and he thought Mr. Hamilton Wells would prefer to order the punishment himself for so serious an offence. Angelica shook her hair over her face, and made sufficient feint of resistance to tumble her frock on the way, while Diavolo pretended to be terror-stricken, but this was only to please Mr. Ellis with the delusion that fear of their father gave him a moral hold over them. For the moment Mr. Hamilton Wells frowned upon them, they straightened themselves and beamed about blandly. Mr. Hamilton Wells ordered Diavolo to be thrashed, and Diavolo dashed off for the cane and handed it to his tutor politely, saying at the same time, "'Do be quick, Mr. Ellis. I want to get out.' "'You wouldn't dare to thrash him if you were big enough to thrash you back!' Angelica shrieked, waltzing round like a tornado. "'And it isn't fair to thrash him and not me, for I am much worse than he is. You know I am, Papa, and I shall hate you if Diavolo is thrashed, and teach him how to make your life a burden to you for a month. I shall!' stamping her foot." It always made her blood boil if there were any question of corporal punishment for Diavolo. She could have endured it herself without a murmur, but she had a feminine objection to knowing that it was being inflicted, especially as she was not allowed to be present. "'Don't be an idiot, Angelica,' Diavolo drawled. "'I would rather be thrashed and have done with it. It does fellows good to be thrashed. Makes them manly, they say in the books. And it hurts a jolly sight less than being scratched by you, if that is any comfort.' "'Oh, you are mean!' Angelica exclaimed. "'Wait till we get outside!' 
"'I think, sir,' Mr. Ellis ventured to suggest, in answer to an appealing glance from Mr. Hamilton Wells, and looking dubiously at the cane. "'I think, since Diavolo doesn't care a rap about being flogged, I had better devise a form of punishment for which he will care.' "'Then come along, Diavolo!' Angelica exclaimed, making a dash for the door. "'They won't want us while they're devising!' Mr. Ellis would have followed them, but Mr. Hamilton Wells gently restrained him. "'It is no use, Mr. Ellis,' he said, sighing deeply. "'I would recommend you to keep up a show of disapproval for form's sake, but I beg that you will not give yourself any unnecessary trouble. They are quite incorrigible.' "'I hope not,' the tutor answered. "'Well, I leave them to you. Make what you can of them,' their father rejoined. "'I wash my hands of the responsibility while you are here.' The Heavenly Twins got their day's sport on that occasion, and returned with a basket full of trout for tea, fishy themselves, and tired, but bland and conciliatory. They dressed for the evening carefully and without coercion, which was always a sign of repentance, and then they went down to the schoolroom, where they found Mr. Ellis standing with his back to the fireplace, reading a newspaper. He looked at them each in turn as they entered, and they looked at him, but he made no remark. "'I wish you would give us a good scolding at once and have done with it,' Angelica observed. He made no sign of having heard, however, but quietly turned the paper over, chose a fresh item of information, and began to read it. Angelica sat down in her place at table, leaned back with her short frock up to her knees and her long legs tucked under her chair, and reflected. Diavolo did the same, yawning aggressively. "'I'd sell my birthright for a mess of pottage with pleasure this instant,' he exclaimed. "'What was pottage, Mr. Ellis?' Angelica asked insinuatingly. "'You don't suppose the recipe has been handed down in the Ellis family, do you?' said Diavolo. Angelica looked round for a missile to hurl at him, but there being nothing handy, she tried the effect of a withering glance, to which he responded by making a face at her. A storm was evidently brewing, but fortunately just at that moment the tea arrived, and caused a diversion which prevented further demonstrations. Happily for those in charge of the twins, their outbursts of feeling were all squalls, which subsided as suddenly as those of the innocent babe which howls everybody in the house out of bed for his bottle, and is beyond all comfort till he gets it, when his anger instantly goes out, and only a few gurgling O's of intense satisfaction mark the point from which the racket proceeded. For a week Mr. Ellis maintained an attitude of dignified reserve with the twins, and their sociable souls were much exercised to devise a means to break down the barrier of coldness which they found between themselves and their tutor. They tried everything they could think of to beguile him back to the old friendly footing, and it was only after all other means had failed that they thought at last of apologizing for their unruly conduct. It was the first time that they had ever done such a thing in their lives spontaneously, and they were so proud of it that they went and told everybody they knew. Mr. Ellis, having graciously accepted the apology, found himself expected to discuss the whole subject at tea that evening. "'Of course we were quite in the wrong,' said Angelica, taking advantage of the Peace Angel's presence to sum up comprehensively. "'But you must acknowledge that we were not altogether to blame, for you really have not been making our lessons sufficiently interesting to rivet our attention lately.' "'That is true,' said the diligent Diavolo. "'My attention has not been riveted for weeks.' After the twins had made their memorable apology, they were so impressed by the importance of the event that they determined to celebrate it in some special way. They wanted to do something really worthy of the occasion. "'We'll do some good to somebody, shall we?' said Angelica. "'Not unless there's some fun in it,' said Diavolo. 
"'Well, who proposed to do anything without fun in it?' Angelica wanted to know. "'You've no sense at all, Diavolo. When people get up fancy fairs and charity balls, do they pretend to be doing it for fun? No. They say, "'Oh, my dear, I am so busy, I hardly know what to do first. But what keeps me up is the object, the good object. And then they're enjoying it as hard as they can all the time. And that's what we'll do. We'll give the school children a treat.' The twins were allowed an hour to riot about the place after their early dinner, and then a bell was rung to summon them in to lessons. But on that particular day Mr. Ellis waited in vain for them. Angelica had concealed her riding habit in a loft, and as soon as they got out they ran to the stables, which were just then deserted, the men being at their dinner, and Angelica changed her dress while Diavolo got out their ponies and saddled them, and having carefully stolen through a thick plantation onto the high road, they scampered off to Morning Quest as hard as their lively little steeds could carry them. They were well known in Morning Quest, and many an admiring as well as inquiring glance followed them as they cantered close together side by side through the quaint old streets. The people were wondering what on earth they were up to. "'Everybody looks so pleased to see us,' said Diavolo, smiling genially. "'I think we ought to come oftener.' "'We will,' said Angelica. They pulled up at the principal confectioners in the place, and bought as many pounds of sweets as they could carry, desiring the proprietor, in a lordly way, to send the bill to Hamilton House at his earliest convenience. And then they rode off to the largest day-school in the city, stationed themselves on either side of a narrow gateway through which both boys and girls had to pass to get in, and pelted the children with sweets as they returned from their midday dinners, and as they had chosen sugar-almonds, bird's eggs, and other varieties of a hard and heavy nature, which, although interesting in the mouth of a child, are inconvenient when received in its eyes and cause irritation, which is apt to be resented when pelted at the back of its head, the scene in a few minutes was extremely animated. This was what the heavenly twins called giving the school children a treat, and they told Mr. Ellis afterward that they enjoyed doing good very much. "'What shall we do now?' said Diavolo, as they walked their ponies aimlessly down the street when that episode was over. "'Let's call on Grandpapa and the Bishop,' Angelica suggested." "'The bishop first, then,' said Diavolo. "'They've such good cakes at the palace.' "'Well, that's just why we should do Grandpapa first, said Angelica. "'Don't you see? We can have cake at morn, "'and we shall be able to eat the ones at the palace, too, if they're better.' "'Yes,' said Diavolo, with grave precision. "'I notice myself that, however much I have had, "'I can always eat a little more of something better.' "'That's what they mean by tempting the appetite,' observed Angelica sagely. End of Book 1, Chapter 20, Part 1